Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. We're beginning a series about rest for the next three weeks. But first, I want to talk about the antithesis to this entire series, which is grind culture. Anybody familiar with grind culture? You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Uh, So the other day, you're going to become familiar here in a second. Uh, the other day, a friend of mine sent this video of this man named Ed Milet that went viral. You may have seen it. Uh, he's kind of this like jacked 50-year-old motivational type person. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> this like the kind of person that makes money off selling people a class about how to make money, but then you don't ever know if they actually made money. They just make money off selling the class that tells people how to make money. So that's the kind of person he is. This is what he said in the clip. He said, uh, my day is 6 a.m. to noon. And I'm not crazy. You're crazy for thinking it takes 24 hours just like some dude in a cave did 300 years ago. My second day starts at noon and go to six, goes to 6 p.m. That's day two. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this without laughing. It's <laughs> just so bad. <laughs> the next day is 6 p.m. to midnight. Now what I've done is I've changed and manipulated time. I now get 21 days a week. Stack that over a month. I'm going to kick your butt. Stacked it over a year, you're toast. Stacked it over five years, my entire life is different than it would have been otherwise. What is he talking about? (laughs) Like, what does this mean? (laughs) I spent, I kid you not, more than an hour (laughs) reading comments, watching response videos, because they were hilarious. Like, one of my favorites was, and people did various iterations of this one, but one guy did, uh, yeah, my day starts at 6 a.m., and ends at 6.05. (laughs) That's day one. (laughs) Then I go to 6.05 to 6.10. That's day two. And he just started joking about, like, how many days he's accumulated. Whatever, it's so funny. Uh, One person said, how is he manipulating time? He's just breaking the day up into increments. Like, that's not time manipulation. Then someone else pointed out that people didn't live in caves 300 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) his view of time is so warped apparently that he forgot his history 300 years ago was the 1700s people lived in houses (laughs) one person asked uh do do you pay your employees for 21 days per week or do you just pay them for (laughs) i don't understand (laughs) i don't get grind culture i'm sorry (laughs) oh but as, as fun as it was just scrolling through all the comments and responses, this video is a symptom of this bigger problem. This idea that our worth or our value to society, what it means to live a good life, is based on how efficient and how productive we can be. How much money we make, how well we compete, 
how we crush the competition, how much stuff you accumulate. And it's the water that we swim in, right? It's capitalism. It's all around us. So it's no wonder that people like this stuff and this Ed dude has like 5.4 million followers on Instagram. But my question is, does that actually make us happier? Is that what we're here to do? Like in these short years that we have on this earth, are we just machines meant to produce as much as possible? This way of understanding the meaning of life, of ascribing worth to people and ourselves, of defining what makes life good, what makes time valuable, isn't just draining, it's exhausting, it's impossible to satisfy, and it's damaging us and our planet. And I think it's directly related to slavery, sexism, ableism, that one especially, because if you're not able, like other people, to do things in the world, then you're seen as less than because you can't produce. Classism, body shaming, it affects our mental health, it dehumanizes, and I would argue it's one of the central things that the Judeo-Christian tradition has been trying to counter in its entire history. In the Jewish tradition, the defining moment is the Exodus story. This story where these slaves, the Israelites, escape from Egypt, where they were made to work long, exhausting hours, where they were treated like machines made to fulfill the wishes of Pharaoh. And in one part of the story, Moses approaches Pharaoh and just simply asks Pharaoh to let his people go because they're humans and they have dignity. And this is what Pharaoh says in response. Moses and Aaron, why are you making the people slack from their work? Do the hard work yourselves. The land's people are numerous, yet you want them to stop their hard work? Don't supply the people with straw. They need to make bricks like you did before. Let them go out and gather the straw for themselves, but still make sure that they produce the same number of bricks as they made before. Don't reduce the number. They're weak and lazy, and that's why they cry, let's go and offer sacrifices to our God. Make the men's work so hard that it's all that they can do, and they can't focus on these empty lies. Pharaoh sounds like a boss in a factory. And he doubles down his cruelty. He makes it even harder and then demands the same output just because Moses asks him to honor the dignity of his people. Pharaoh didn't see the Israelites as human beings. He didn't care about their lives, what they valued. He saw them as machines made to produce. But earlier in the story, when God spoke out of a bush, um, in this really trippy story in the Bible, God said this, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. 
I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. If you've ever sat with someone that's grieving, you know that it's not efficient in any sort of relationship to that term. It just is, but you sit there and do it. I know their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey. Pharaoh saw the Israelites as machines, and God saw them as sacred. So as the story goes, God liberated them so that they could experience the goodness of life. And this story is a defining story for Jewish people to this day. Last week we celebrated Easter in the Christian tradition, but that's connected, related to the Passover, which is what the Jews would have been celebrating on that same day. It inspired slaves in America to escape and create the Underground Railroad. It inspired the civil rights movement. If you ever have heard speeches from Martin Luther King or other people in that time or read some of the writings, it was all in it. MLK saw himself as Moses. People that are liberating other people see themselves as Moses. It's inspired liberation movements throughout history all across the world because it's not just the story of this one small group of people. It's in not an event that happened a long time ago. It's like this archetype, this archetypal story that identifies what happens when human beings recognize their own sacred worth. It's a story about what God is up to in the world and how human beings relate to each other. It's a story about the nature of work and what work is for. It's a story about the nature of rest and the importance of rest. Because after God frees the Israelites, they're given commandments. Now, a lot of times we might think, oh, these commandments are like these heavy burdens that God placed on these people, these rules that were really difficult. But if you think about it, this group of people had been slaves for 500 years so these rules were a way for them to just figure out what it meant to be a society and be a human, what it meant to do life with each other, like simple things like don't kill other people. That one's a pretty good one, you know? We should keep that one. And at the center of these rules was the Sabbath, a day where they would intentionally do nothing. God saw their oppression. God knew their pain. And God didn't want them to fall into the same trap as before, to center their lives on how much they could produce. So God commanded Sabbath so that they would build a rhythm of rest into their lives. This day to remember that they are not sacred because of what they make. They are sacred because of who they are. And then later on, Jesus continues this tradition by warning the disciples to, make, to not make their entire lives about accumulating wealth. And he says there are two gods. There's the God of mammon, 
which is the way of commodity, endless desire, endless productivity, endless restlessness without any Sabbath. And then there's Yahweh, the God who liberates, the God who commands rest, the God who sees our pain, and the God who says we are sacred just because of who we are. Theologian Walter Brueggemann said that Jesus taught his disciples that they could not have it both ways. God of mammon or Yahweh. But it's not easy, right? Like it's ingrained into us. I'm the son of Mexican immigrants who worked multiple jobs because it's what they needed to do for us to be able to have a home and eat because they were minimum wage jobs. So it's ingrained in me to work hard. I've been working since I was 15 years old because it's been ingrained in me to work hard all the time. So there's this tension, right? We need to work. Like we need to make money to like afford a roof and have food and all these other things that we want to do, drive our cars to come here to have a drink, to listen to some music or, you know, uh, somebody doing comedy on stage or whatever or brew church. Like we need to work <laughs> to do things. And then there's this beauty in creating things and taking risks and accomplishments, doing something meaningful in the world, contributing to society, like that is beautiful too. So there's this tension because it's not like we just throw it all out and say, just go live in the woods and do nothing, right? Like that won't work. Um, it just won't unless you have enough money to like build this entire compound <laughs> where you just have infinite food at your disposal because you have the money to do it. We do things sometimes because we love it, too. Like, I love getting to be here. It's not a burden. It's a gift. But it, we can just as easily, easily slip into the belief that whatever we do defines who we are, that our value to society, our worth to ourselves, how we should feel about our days is based on what we did and how much we accomplished in those days. So rest is the counterweight that keeps us grounded. It's the protest that says our bodies are not to be commodified by other people. Our time is not to be just used for another person's gain. Trisha Hershey, who a lot of this conversation is based on from her book, uh, Rest is Resistance, said this, capitalism will keep us working and producing and then replace our bodies when they're done. Grind culture is violence. It's violence to look at a human divine body and say, you exist. Thank you for being here on earth. But to be able to prove that you're enough, you got to go and work 80 hours. You need to do something. I have to see something. Show me your proof. We have to stop being urgent. We have to slow down, deprogram, and detox from our toxic work 
culture, rest is a human right. It is a divine right. It is not a privilege or a luxury. The human body is the site of liberation. The human body is the site of liberation. Uh, a few years ago, I hurt my back. Um, and I kept going to the gym because I'm stubborn <laughs> and stupid. Um, and it got worse and worse. And then one day I bent down to tie my shoes <laughs> and I couldn't. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> I got to stop working out. So I had to take a few weeks off, as you do. And I was able to heal. Um, as Like this conversation is like really important for my life, <laughs> as you can tell. Like I need to hear this, this message of rest because I, I don't stop. But to like make this a, you know, silly pastor analogy, this is true about other things, not just our bodies. Like if you've ever gotten stuck, maybe you're a creative type and you're like trying to write something and you're like, I just can't get it. I can't force it. And if you just keep trying to force it, it won't work. But if you take time to go rest, maybe go take a walk, maybe go outside, maybe just take a nap, maybe just do it the next day, maybe just set aside for a year and then come back to it, it's like all of a sudden you'll have this energy and inspiration to do the thing that was once so hard to do because you went back. You went back to the foundation that my worth is not based on finishing this task. And then you do it out of the joy, the sake of doing it. Like, one thing that I've been doing the last four weeks because um, my spouse is in grad school and is insanely busy is going to the grocery store and uh, to pick up groceries. It's my responsibility right now in this season, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. And sometimes it's annoying because I'm just like, I don't want to go to the grocery store and spend an hour walking around with this cart, picking stuff up, and then pay a bunch of money because things so are so expensive right now. Why are they so expensive? Um, but <laughs> sometimes I go to the grocery store, and I'm like, wow, this is really freaking cool, and I love it. Today, I went to the grocery store, and I was like, this is fun. I was just like dancing to the music they were playing at Sprouts and picking up my stuff, right? It changes your perspective when you don't see things as a task, but you see them as a gift that you can do. And I think God is inviting us. God, the universe is inviting us to believe that we are sacred just as we are and because we are. And that's it, period. Not because of what we do or what we produce. And I think God is liberating us and our liberation starts with rest. So may we see rest not as this privilege, not as a treat because I worked hard, but may we see rest as a way to claim the sacred worth that we all have. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone.